Hello, I'm Eagle, Eagle Gardens, Eagle Gardens 1 on Instagram, and this is Fucking Talking Shit with Eagle, episode 646. Hopefully you guys have had a great evening this evening. I've had a pretty good day myself. I've got a great guest for you this evening, a trooper, even though he's had some problems this evening, still hanging out with us tonight. Uh, you'll find him on Instagram as Amazing Groove. Doug, how are you doing this evening? Well, excellent. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being on. It's a good, uh, good rainy spring night. You know, that brings forth the flowers the next day. So I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Well, thank you for hanging out with us uh, tonight. Uh, appreciate your time. Uh, how you want to tell everybody where they can find you, even though I've kind of let on a little bit. You want to tell them where they can find you? Yes, no problem. Uh, easiest way to find me is at Mason Grew uh, on Instagram. You can feel free to direct message or comment or anything that you, you guys like. I'm pretty active on there lately, and I've been trying to do a few other different things in the community. So any interaction like that always helps. Feel free to message anytime. Well, we'll get to the events here, uh, hopefully sometime soon. But first and foremost, we'd like to uh, start it off right from the beginning. Uh, when and where, how cannabis came into our lives. If you don't mind sharing, when did cannabis come into your life? Either you've seen it or the first time you consumed. Oh, well, I have a particularly symbiotic story for this. I was lucky enough to get out of college or get out of high school. I went to college. I went to Western Michigan spent a couple of years out there. I'm a former teacher. Unfortunately, a lot of schools close pretty prematurely. So I got into cannabis shortly thereafter, but my first exposure to cannabis personally was in college, but I actually got the idea to start growing. Oh, I'd say right after I graduated, I was lucky enough to live in an area where uh, I was able to just have a little garden. And luckily for me, there was a Catholic church down the road and we had a lot of older women who would walk down the road there and go to church. Well, eventually as the sun got to the driveway, I would put my basil plants out in front of the, the driveway. And this was just in the suburbs, you know, and these old, these old ladies would come by and eventually they started asking me, you know, if they could buy the basil from me so they could make their pesto. Well, it occurred to me that, you know, it wasn't just for feeding my rabbits anymore, but it was, a chance to maybe cash in on this crop. Well, luckily for me, I had a cousin who was already involved. I got started with him. And then I was lucky enough to get my first kind of exposure to the, uh, to the community by working at a, a, one of the first dispensaries in Detroit. And then from there, I went on to Colorado. I came back to Michigan and that brings me to where we are today. My first uh, consumption though, was uh, actually with a good friend from high school. And it took a couple of times before it actually got to me, but uh, I, I remember correctly, it was Christmas Eve of 2003. So I've been at this for almost 20 years now.
That doesn't seem uh, too long ago there. Uh, so what made you could, what made you try cannabis for the first time? So for me, it was personal expansion, you know, just trying to see what it was all about. Uh, luckily for me, I had some caring friends that, that took good care of me. And I saw that it was a safer alternative to alcohol. I was lucky enough to not really have alcohol in my life at all. So I mean, <laughs> yes, I'm here. Oh, man. A little bit of a delay. Oh, okay. I think we might we might have it now. Yeah, I can hear you now. Oh, okay, great. Sorry, it just seems to, seems to be cutting out there. Uh, luckily for me, I, I had friends that took good care of me, and I got kind of got involved with it with my cousin, and before I knew it, uh, you know, cannabis kind of became a currency in college. There were trades that you can make. You met new people. It was kind of a nice little side hustle for some people, so I decided to adopt it pretty wholeheartedly at that point. And I, I really never have looked back since then. So for me, it's been, it's been introduced into my life through friends, uh, family, and then personal, you know, personal curiosity. So, uh, do you remember what uh, what kind of what it was that you consumed for the first time? What strains were available to you? Uh, yes, I actually remember it was uh, it was called they called it Christmas trees, if I remember correctly. Uh, obviously, because of the connotation with a decorated Christmas tree, but I remember very specifically asking my friends how a joint worked. I just couldn't grasp the concept. That you inhaled the joint Hello? through the actual actual joint. Oh, hey, are you guys there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, boy, I'm telling you, I'm There's struggling a real quick. delay tonight for some reason. Oh, yeah, it, it is raining pretty bad out by where I'm at. I don't know if that affects it. <laughs> So far, so good. Okay, good. Uh, but I didn't mean to interrupt. Please continue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just I just remember very specifically not understanding how a joint worked. And one of my friends had to explain it to me. And uh, after a couple of rounds with it, I, I had my first taste of what they called Christmas trees. And I remember after that, I think I ate close to a whole box, if not maybe a little bit more cereal. And I knew after that point that that was something that was meant for me. Um, and then before I knew it, I, I discovered a green thumb that I got from my grandmother and uh, it just really all kind of came together as a grower, as a consumer, and as a, you know, essentially a guide for some people. Uh, a lot of people in my family have not had any experience with cannabis and, and now need it for medical reasons. And 
I'm lucky enough to be able to be that person for friends and family. And uh, I, I take that very seriously. And uh, you know, I apply the teaching mechanisms that I learned when I was a teacher to explaining cannabis to people for the political, recreational, or spiritual aspects of it. And those were really the main focuses for me. Always focusing on the cultivation really is where I found my calling in life. When I have a happy garden, I'm a happy person. It's, it's really quite reflective of your general mindset. Uh, you know, if you have a good garden and you're doing, doing well, you, you seem to be doing better in life. If your garden is, is not doing so well, you seem to maybe not be doing so well in life. But I find that there's a, there's a direct connotation between the garden and your spiritual well-being. And when I got into the role of being able to be a grower, uh, you know, personally and then commercially and then back to personally, uh, that's when I really felt the true power of, of the community. Not only did it embrace me, but it also employed me, it housed me, it fed me, it, you know, socialized me. It, it became a, a part of your identity almost. I have to agree 100% on uh, all your views so far. I do believe this is a very spiritual plant and uh, experience. Uh, I've kind of related it lately to uh, like basically uh, spirit plant medicine. I've kind yep. of listened to a few books lately, kind of geared in that direction. And basically when they talk about that they kind of talk about you know being mindful and wandering through the forest and kind of letting the herbs or plants kind of speak to you as a medicine you know you've kind of made that, that symbiotic relationship with each other and uh i think you have that relationship with cannabis i think as you we or we used to be able to uh be able to know those jars i think that that in particular strain profile connects with you and you've made that same thing that spiritual kind of connection with it you know kind of agreeing with each other that you know this is your medicine yes and you know it goes it goes both ways too cultivation uh wise as well i've seen you know two pound plus a light gardens you know commercial gardens crash to 0.8 pounds of light commercial gardens because they had some sort of infighting or there was some sort of discrepancy in the management or the ownership. And it's, I mean, it only takes a couple of weeks before things can really take a nosedive, but conversely, when things are going well, or things are steady or even improving, you, you can really make that connection as well. So for me, I, I started off with sativas. I was the sativa guy for a long time, just because I had access to the genetics that allowed me to do that. But you know, as I've gotten more into the indica side of things and I've seen more of what, you know, the, the, the rosin type of thing will do for people, uh, it, it's definitely changed my opinion. I used to be like, ah, oh, sativas all the time. I don't know why anyone would want anything different. But now I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people benefit from very specifically heavy hasher type strains. And, you know, I used to teach health and government. I know that's kind of unbelievable. It's literally the perfect intersection for medical marijuana, but it's really true. I've seen people who have benefited equally from sativas and people have benefited equally from indicas, but the, the elasticity and the, 
malleability of indica just really seems to be more medically conducive to what patients are needing. I recently medicated a whole bunch of my, my honey from one of my hives with some single source rosin. And it's basically one of the only things that my patient can take to relieve them from their opioid, uh, I don't want to call it an addiction, but their opioid use. And they're trying to manage more symptoms with cannabis than they are with opioids. And I think there's also a, a powerful antagonistic effect with cannabis too, where it can push out bad things, alcohol or, or opioids, especially. I, I, I certainly know people who have changed over completely from alcohol to cannabis. And I, I can't think of one person who hasn't found some sort of spiritual peace. So I can't see how you can't call it spiritual if it's antagonistically spiritual or if it's you know symbiotically spiritual either way it's attaching to the individual and that's kind of where being a, a caregiver gives you kind of a role like a shaman you got to ask people what they need and, 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 and deliver that consistently and affordably and to be able to be a part of someone's life in that way to be in their home be a, you know consumed by their body it, I mean if you're not putting spiritual spiritual effort and passion into that, um, what are you doing, right? Right on. We 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 see eye to eye on a lot of things already. I'm very much enjoying this conversation so far. Uh, one of my big uh, standpoints is. Uh, I believe cannabis can be a very good uh, weapon towards addiction. I've lost a lot of people in my life uh, to, to pharmaceutical drugs. And uh, it's, I find it to be very heartbreaking. And I've talked a lot about lately uh, using cannabis as a rehab tool for a lot of the same things you're talking about, pharmaceutical rehab, alcohol rehab, even, even further than that, just rehabilitation in all forms. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm stoked to hear what, you, what you're saying here uh, because I, I think it's huge. It has a healing power, not only as the medicine part of things, but I think as you're, you're kind of alluding to here, the cultivation side of things, uh, has a huge hand in the rehabilitation as well. So hands off to you, my friend, for fighting this fight. I'm stoked to hear more of your story. Well, well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's very kind. Uh, I'm lucky enough, you know, I'm single, never been married, don't have kids. So I've been able to, to commit my life to this uh, and I've had the support. And luckily I've just met the right people at the right times from, you know, old partners or new partners to, political figures or authors, musicians, things of that nature. Uh, and it's always been emboldened my, my path. I've, I've been led by great people. Uh, and I've, I've, been, I've been lucky enough to be a part of the battle where I didn't have to wage any real, real wars, right? The, the culture was starting to turn. And now it's our responsibility to, you know, have fun with it and, and have some lightness to it. But there, there really needs to be a you know, I hate to use the word pharmaceutical, but there needs to be pharmaceutical grade cannabis available to people that don't have to worry about the multi-million dollar corporations and all the extra stuff they're putting on their cannabis and the way they're, they're kind of working through tests and stuff like that. It's just a, a good, honest 
way to connect with somebody and not be invasive on their life, but still still help their symptoms, still manage their life. Or or maybe it is just spiritual or it's just recreational for people. But either way, there's joy being brought from it. And to be able to be a part of that uh, and to create that, you know, uh, short of being a breeder, you know, a cultivator is, I'd say, the next most important person. So when you when you get that kind of responsibility and you have the chance to replicate those results commercially or or privately in a larger sense, it, it really can direct all your focus, right? I, I've heard it said a lot of times that you can either have a garden or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever. And it's just, uh, it's kind of true because they do become your children. They become your babies. And, you know, you, you don't want to go on vacation. You don't want to leave them. You, you worry about them. You hire people to watch them. Uh, it, it's, it's unique how, you know, I'll say like a dog will come into your life when you most need it. I think cannabis did that for me. Uh, and I, I just, well, I want to keep rewarding, you know, keep rewarding myself and rewarding the plant and just kind of perpetuate this culture of not necessarily always just hippy dippy shit, right? Like I like that there's people out there in Israel doing crazy research or there's people in Ann Arbor doing crazy research. There's, there's uh there's higher standards being re required of people, but I, I feel like we, in 10 years, we're going to be having a different conversation. And I'm hoping that it's not, where do I find medicinally valuable cannabis, not just the cheapest grocery store cannabis I can find. And that's, that's where the political science side of me comes in. And it's really, really out there for that, that educate. I used to call it medication, <laughs> you know, cause I, we had a lot of older folks that would come into the dispensary that I worked at way back when, and I, and they just had no idea what they were doing, you know, and, I went out to Colorado and I had some, some, some bud tending experience out there. I would just do it on, on the weekends or at night for an extra few bucks. And people would like go to the hospital because they ate too many edibles and then we don't want that either, you know? So having the ability to not only cultivate, but educate about, about the effects of what I'm creating. I mean, I can't think of really any other person other than a chef that might have that or an engineer. And I, you know, I ain't no chef and I certainly ain't no engineer, but to be able to predictably and accurately and consistently provide uh, consumable or uh, consumable or otherwise product for somebody. And then to tie that in with this like new homes. I, I have a big thing for homesteading. I really like that kind of lifestyle. And, you know, before, I don't think that would have happened had I not got into, into cannabis. Right. So there's, there's cannabis feeding my spiritual side again. And it's just, it's impossible to ignore that. And I, I find that more often than not, even people who are just being silly with it, find a story or two about their experiences that are serious. And I just can't, you know, you can't dismiss this plant for multiple reasons. But now that we see that the majority of the United States is in favor of this by quite a bit, I'm just interested to see what happens in the next 10 years. Because I've worked commercially, I've been a consultant, in multiple different states. I've been to New Mexico, I've been to Ohio, I've been to Florida, I've been to Pennsylvania, Florida, Michigan, and Colorado. And I mean, boy, I'll tell you, some states got it right. Oklahoma had it right in terms of licensing, but they didn't have their, they don't have good water down there, right? And then you, you see like all the political and, and monetary jockeying for power that goes on with this plan. I just, I'm very concerned about the future. Like I want to make sure that if this has to go back underground, 
we still have access to it because I'm telling you the commercial side of things aren't looking good right now. So I guess, how do you, how do you define the line between, and I, uh, this is, this is an art subject that's near and dear to my heart. So, and I, I fight this fight every time I have this conversation. So how, where do you draw the line? Usually I'm, usually I'm on your side of the table when I have this conversation. So maybe you can help me get some ammo the next time, next time around. So where do you draw the line here? Because, uh, you know, I kind of feel like man, cannabis does, you know, have that healing power across the board, recreational, medical. Yes. But I think once we kind of get back to, where you're walking around in your medicine and we'll just throw you know the cookie example once your medicine you're wearing around a cookie t-shirt i think we're back to you know the pharmaceutical you know the pushing of the pharmaceutical medicine where they're basically giving you stickers and pens and you're seeing it on tv in the commercials to ask your dad your doctor for cookies you know what i mean so where do we how where and how do we draw that line i guess so for me it's it's simple uh there's one question so i so when you tell anyone that you're in the cannabis industry they always want to take you out to lunch the next day. And I've had, gosh, I've had probably 30 of these lunches, right? And that's how you generate business. That's how you start, you know, get involved with startups. And there's a lot of value to it. But I found that where the divergence most commonly happens is if the person that I'm consulting with asks me this one question, how much money can I make or how much money does it cost to create a plan? And I just, I, I don't know why, but it, every time that happens with me, it turns me off to a very large degree. Like I've walked away from quite a few people because they don't have the right mindset for it. And it's, it's difficult to explain to people that it's, it's a crop just like anything else. You know, it's just as predictable as farming. There are th- certain things we can do to ensure that we have better outcomes. But the reality is, is if you're in this to pinch pennies, it's going to show in the end product. And I mean, I've worked for places for years and then all of a sudden they, they change their mind and they, they want to do things the cheap way. So for me, it's, it's really when, it, when the question stops becoming what's the right thing to do and then it becomes what's the cheap thing to do. Now, I understand I, you know, I've run a business before. I know that you can't just spend all the money in the world and expect it to work, but the types of things that they do to cut corners are typically unethical and they're typically they rob the plant of its healing or 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 symptom management properties and that you know that that could be as simple as as distillation or it could be ozone or it could be microwaving cannabis like there there's a falseness there's an inauthenticity to the commercial side of things and I think that the, the authentic question needs to be, how can we create the best cannabis? And when you start getting into how can I make it cheaper or how can I make the cheapest cannabis, that's, that's a completely different game. I always tell people, you either need to grow the best or you need to grow the most. I certainly don't want to do all the work that was required to grow the most. It's a lot easier to sell or it's a lot easier to get donations for high quality cannabis 
at a reasonable price than it is to try and push low quality cannabis for your, you know, whatever you got to get to pay rent. And it just, it, it becomes, it becomes sad and, and it kind of becomes perverse. And that's, that's, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but there's more often than not, that's, it comes down to that question is how can we do it cheaper? Which is a good thing, I guess. Uh, in business, you have to do it cheaper. Um, yeah. But does it always? So what is your answer? I mean, most times I think most people would automatically assume, well, organics is your answer. <laughs> so is that the answer you give? Or is so, what is your so answer? For, so for me, what it almost always ends up being is I explain to people like, I bring my product. This is hand watered, and it's not even all organic. I do I do a soup organic. So almost everything. I'd say sixty percent of what I use is organic, but there's forty percent. I use pH up and down. You know that's that's not organic. You know I mean that's that's about as far from organic as you can get. But I I don't present myself as being a strictly organic person. But the way that it almost always works out is they want to end up doing salts and cocoa so i mean that's kind of like the commercial balance if you don't want to do you know tlo or no tills or you know natural outdoor native soil stuff uh they'll they'll settle for you know your flood drain table or your you know your your line irrigation pot you know ones to fives kind of thing you know something that's simple uh but the people who are committed to quality almost always have an idea of how they want to do it so that does remove a lot of the issue for me, but it almost always ends up being similar to TLO, True Living Organics. So, uh, or a no-till is another popular thing. I'm seeing a lot. My buddy works out in Colorado and he, he's setting up a whole, I think 25% of his canopy space is going to be a no-till space now because that's, that's the only way you can make money out there. But uh, he's also in the, in the high desert. So I don't think he... He has as much access to good water. I mean, there's 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 a lot of other little factors there, but uh, I think for me, the the safest medium that's going to create the commercial availability that we need for people, but still keep somewhat of the authenticity, is going to be that super organic type, you know, salt five gallon bucket runs, uh, just for labor and all that stuff. It's it just ends up being what almost everybody picks. I have no qualms with salts myself. I know I'm just getting back into the organic side of cannabis uh, within the last two years. You know, I started there, but I've, it's been back and forth. But majority of my cannabis growing career has been in cocoa and salts. So you know, I I I, I have no problems with it. Cannabis being grown that way. And with these new two parts, you know, the floor flex and stuff like that, man, it can, can't get much cheaper than pennies on the dollar, to be honest with you. Even though organics can be quite cheap, I, I see your point more on a commercial scale there. I can, I'm with you a little bit here. Yeah, once you cross that 500 plant mark, you know, people, you know, I... I'm consulting for a, a 10,000 plant up in, uh, up in Northeast Michigan right now. Not, you know, it's a long drive and all this stuff, but they're, they're good guys, you know, but they, they don't have a concept of 
what the difference between indoor and outdoor growing is. So I think that's another big factor. Um, but what I am noticing that a lot of commercial gardens are doing is that they, they're just doing whatever they can do on the indoor. And then they're all just banging out outdoors. Like every outdoor garden I see is at least a thousand, if not, you know, five or 10,000 plants. So I think people are just kind of getting by in the winter months with the indoor and then just doubling down on the outdoor. And, you know, that's a skill, man. Like I, I grow, I've grown outdoors for 10 years. And luckily the only year I haven't had an outdoor grow since I started growing was last year. And it was just because I was moving. It's just my, you know, my girl left me, you know, that whole, all that stuff. Yeah. It was just a country song. So I didn't, I didn't have an outdoor garden, but out of the 12 years, I guess that was the right year to pick because it was one of the worst for growing. But these outdoor commercial grows, what they do is they'll go and they'll just do a straight extract run, like just straight harvest it off the vine. They'll put it right into this little machine bucket for you. I mean, it's, it's, it's about as commercial as it gets. And I think they make almost all their operating revenue out of that because, you know, these, some of these greenhouses have 2,500 to 5,000 plants in them, you know, and we're talking one gallon pots stacked to the roof. You know, it's, it's really quite something to see. So I think the, the craft game on the indoor is kind of secondary, but I've seen places triple down on their business because they had a good outdoor and I've seen places, you know, lose almost all their business because they've had a, a bad outdoor. So it's funny because everyone thinks the money's indoor, but really it's actually outdoor uh, just for the scalability factor. But then, do do we are are they losing the Zen factor, the spiritual side of the cannabis, which I believe that is the craft side of cannabis. When you yeah. know, when I really believe that when you talk about craft, there's definitely some spirituality in there. There's a lot more one on one. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't really think you can get a craft cannabis much more over a three hundred plant. I think it has to be, you know more one-on-one -on -one person once it gets to where you're automatically watered and uh not being as personal i think that uh, you you you're jeopardizing some taste there some quality for sure oh yeah absolutely and you know like i always see people they're always calculating like kpis for their workers and stuff like that and it's just it, it really is uh it, it's too scientific if that makes sense so I've gotten lucky and I believe we might have lost him. He is driving. Hopefully he'll call back. So back on camera. There we go. Hopefully he'll come back in. He is driving. Actually, the reason for no video tonight is being a trooper, he just actually a half hour before the show. I received a phone call that his grandma had passed and he is actually on his way there. So hats off to him for still making this work regardless, but hopefully he'll kind of come back in and finish up this episode. If not, then I'm always up for a redo. That's for sure. Uh, my condolences to him and his family. So either way, hopefully he comes back. Dave in St. Louis, cheers to you. How you doing? We nerd uh, DWC, cheers, crack babies, hillbilly herbs, how you doing?
Oh, who else we got? Soulborn Addiction. Cheers to you, the American one. Smiley and Chad, of course. Let's be buds. Uncle Rick. Cheers to you. Who else we got? Chad Blind Cat. Four twenty. Blue Kiss Gardens. How you guys doing? Cruzilla. Red Pill. Cheers to you. Seven Ten Count Sewer. Martial Artist. Big ups. Dog Pounds. Who else we got? Jason Iastone, Matt Ness. How you guys doing? What are you guys smoking on? Eeyore, how you doing, my friend? Nice to see you in chat. What's up, Nick? Cheers. Hopefully he comes back. We'll hang out for a few. See if uh, he's able to get his phone. Maybe it died. Maybe it didn't. Either way. Uh, like I told him pre, I'm willing to redo this at any point. Uh, yeah, I, I really think he was a hell of a guy for uh, doing this while he's traveling anyhow. So, doors open. The doors open, Mason Brew. James C. Weaver, how you doing? Mr. Greenfingers, there we go. He's back. Hey, sorry, Bill. I think I'm going to lost you for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I lost you there for a second. But, but yeah, you're right. That 300 mark, I mean, if you got to trim it all, I just, you know, boy, I feel bad for anybody who has to do that. So, you know, I, I could see one person being able to handle a class AA license. I think that's 300. Pretty, you know, that'd be a, a real full-time job, but it's definitely possible if you have, I'd say if you have the trimming help and maybe an extra hand on just transplant or staking days, but you know, sometimes they just put them out in the field and they, they, they just, they get what they get. And that's, that's a pretty common practice too. I think people rush, rush, rush. And then they put out, you know, improperly tall or weak or, you know, rubbery plants that they, they can't handle it. And then they just kind of, they kind of just deal with what comes. Uh, and I think I've seen a lot of, a lot of flower only grows turn into extract only grows for that, for that reason. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's sad. Uh, I don't know. It seems like the outdoor market really does push the extract market a little hard, to be honest with you. I, I heard just today, you know, a gram of uh, dabble, anything dabbable in Oklahoma, $3 a gram. $3 yeah. a gram for, you know, that, that's crazy in my opinion. I mean, at, 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 in my mind, you better be doing a thousand plants at minimum or have a nice outside grow. Otherwise, it isn't even worth the time. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right on that. And that was the experience I had when I was down in Oklahoma. I went down about, oh, I'd say about, gosh, was it two years ago? Might have been two years ago. Yeah, it was two years ago. And uh, the guy I met, I mean, he was a well-funded ex-basketball player had all sorts of money uh but he didn't you know you either find people who have one of the three following things the time the money or the the desire right and this guy had the money and the time i just don't think he had the desire well with him is the race was so strong that you know it shot it shot warehouse prices through the roof i mean we're talking 14 15 
$20 a square foot for some of these places, right? And in Oklahoma, I don't know if you've been down there lately, but their water is awful. So it doesn't surprise me that it's $3 a gram down there. I actually consulted for a, a place and I had to explain to them that they're, they're too far behind to start a 10,000 plant outdoor grow from seed, right? Like they just had a natural open outdoor design. And I think it's, it's just gotten to the point where the only people that can rush to fill these vacancies are people who don't have the desire, but have either the money or the time or know someone who does. So it, it was kind of a way, I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of a little salty about it if I tell you the truth, because when I left, uh, there was a malfunction on my timer and there was a malfunction on my RO system. And I'll admit, I just forgot to put one of the filters back in. And I ended up frying some plants pretty bad. I ended up just, you know, ended up having to toss a couple of them uh, to go down there to sit with this guy for three or four hours every day for a week for him to try and find a place to start this grow. And by the time he finally got it going, he changed his mind two more times. And at that point, I, you know, I just, I didn't think he was serious. So him and I decided to, to go separate ways, you know, in an amicable way, but he, he is still struggling to find space. And I keep trying to tell him, I'm like, man, I, I heard Oklahoma's like, you know, the lowest of the lows right now, but he's, he's still insisted on trying to get in there and uh, $3 a gram for a dad, boy, that's crazy. Uh, the way I see it is, you know, you're going to give the extractor a third. All right. So there's a dollar Then you're telling me you're growing quality cannabis for $2 a gram and getting it processed for the extractor. And I don't know, you know, and the kind of the, the tall tale sign for me is do you consume your own product? <laughs> I mean, I was at hash bash this year. I was, I was actually selling uh mouthpieces, those silicone mouthpieces that used to be called mouthpiece P E A C E. Uh, but now they're called moose lads or something because I mean, people were selling three and $2 grams and mushrooms too, for three, four or $5 a gram. And I was just like, man, I don't know if I'd even want to compete with that. I, I ended up selling about 40 of those mouthpieces though, which was nice, you know? So I got rid of those from an old show that I had, but yeah, it's, it's starting to happen in Michigan too. I mean, I've seen, I've seen high, like high quality dabs or flowers that I will admit I'm a, a much more of a flower guy. I'm not into the dabs too much. I, uh, they're just too much for me. Uh, but there's, there's really good high quality stuff going around. And I mean, I'm seeing people break year long, years long friendships over it, you know, because they're getting, you know, California outdoor that looks just as good for, you know, 50 bucks an ounce. And I mean, I, I've seen a lot of people not work with each other anymore because of stuff like that. And now now, just this last couple of weeks, I've, you know, I've, I've been seeing prices go back up and people are kind of looking more for that quality, which is good. But now I'm wondering how many of us, you know, and I use the term us colloquially, colloquially, I can't say that word. Uh, but the idea is, is how many people quit, right? How many good quality growers just quit or went commercial and now are doing, you know, whatever the commercial says. And now it's, it's going to be like, all right, so now we don't have enough of the good cannabis for the the intended original purpose. And I mean, boy, that, that chaps my ass a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, it, the way cannabis is handled in Michigan really chaps my ass, to be honest with you, you know, again, because I am, I lean 100% towards the medical side. I get, you know, I appreciate, and I, as a kid and always growing up, I dreamed, 
I dreamed of recreational cannabis. You know what I mean? But as you know, somebody that's got a, a, a foot in the fight or a foot in the race here, uh, I don't like the way it's being handled, to be honest with you. I think every the whole thing's being fought, the whole medical side of cannabis is just it opened the door for us initially, and then I think big business kind of is just put slam the door open and steam rolling over us like it's a fucking uh a black friday sale basically uh i i like i said i think that uh a lot of the medical side of things is the cultivation side of things and then moreover i think <clears throat> i mean just look at the way it is now for a recreational grower here in michigan any household can have 12 plants Whatever they can produce in this, in with those twelve plants, they're legally able to keep and consume and walk around with two point five ounces. But the second right. they call that medicine, well, damn it, some people should be called in. You know what I mean? You're in the wrong yep. for having more than two point five, even though that could be, you know, your full spectrum oil or edibles or whatever you know you may just need a high rate of you know cannabis for your consumption and i think it's then they turn around and point fingers at the caregivers for the overages the black market (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, well i can i can i can assure you that you're on the right path with that i've gone up to lansing a couple of times i've sat in on some meetings i've actually got a chance to speak a couple of times now albeit they gave us one tenth of the time but we did uh, we did have an opportunity to speak and i've been doing this you know political science is my minor i'm interested in that naturally so you add cannabis into it and i'm involved in cannabis like all of a sudden i'm i'm at those meetings trying to educate these folks and i mean I sat in, I sat right next to Steve Lingler or whatever his name is, him and his wife. Like I had a stinking hippie, just went and sat down right next to him. And I was polite and I was pleasant. And we talked and the woman was actually very nice. I have to give her that. But their, their concept of cannabis is just so perverted and it's so skewed. Like I had to explain to them that just because you have 72 plants doesn't mean that you're going to have 72 plants flowering and even if you do you're still gonna have to wait another six months to get the other ones back or three months to get them back and they you know i asked them you know simply like how much how much cannabis do you think a person with a a 20 foot area let's say a a medium-sized closet can produce and you know some of them will say 10 pounds and it's just like boy i'll tell you i'd like to hire that guy you know but it the 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 general understanding of where where cannabis is and what it can do is it's just so it's so askew it, it's unbelievable like like i said i education right I, that's my whole goal is to educate people about this stuff and the the people making the decision neither have the time nor the desire to learn what they need to know and they don't understand that their their apathy essentially is someone else's tragedy and when we don't recognize that, when we don't recognize that you're making decisions that will impact people's livelihoods, people's lives, people's medical needs or lack thereof, uh, I don't really think you should be the person making that decision anymore because you're, you know, in a democracy, you're supposed to make decisions for the people you represent. 
And I just, I don't, I just don't see that being represented in Lansing. And it's heartbreaking because it does allow for people like, you know, these MCMA type people to come in and you know what? I got to give it to them. They had a great presentation. You know, I'm a teacher. I've watched what they said. I learned what they, you know, what they were trying to say and they were effective in the way that they communicated things. Now, I will say it was a good thing that were that there were people there to correct some of the the large misconceptions that they were trying to push across. Uh, but short of that, I mean, they 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 kind of did a good job. So it's 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 very very difficult to see anything but uh, the presentation in front of you, right? And I, I feel I I understand these lawmakers got lives; they can't just be reading everything all the time. But when people call your phone nonstop, when you have thousands of emails about things that affect people's occupation, their, their medical status, their, you know, how good they feel in the afternoon, you know, when they're, when they're, when their knees hurt or their, you know, their eyes are sore from glaucoma or whatever it might be. And if you're not willing to take the time to understand the minimal inputs that create this thing that you're making a decision on, I, I just wonder why you're making the decision. And I can tell you personally, I've been doing this for years going up to Lansing and it's getting worse. It's getting way worse. Whereas it used to be, here's my grandson. He has epilepsy. Look at how wonderful he's doing. Now it's look at these caregivers. They're putting out toxic cannabis. And then, and then two weeks later, they have the largest commercial recall of all time. And it's just, it's, there's no authenticity. Everything is fake. It's perverse. And it's, it's, it's kind of frustrating if I had if I had to say. Luckily, we had enough people show up to where the number of people maybe emphasize more than what any one particular person will say. And this is an unpopular opinion, but we got to start coming a lot better. We can't be showing up at these events and these uh, legislative hearings and, and getting on the mic and sounding like a bunch of idiots. Like we have to be concise. We have to be sharp. We have to be on point. We have to say things that haven't been said 15 times before. And I, I'll blame us for that. Like there's been a couple of times, hash bash was an embarrassment. Like I was up at, I was up the Lansing, the Lansing rally. I think it was in like maybe March. And the guy that was on the microphone, every other word was a cuss word. Like I just did not look good for us. And all these guys got to do is sit there and, and film for 10 seconds and they have their argument. So I, that's one thing I'm going to say to anybody in the community that's listening right now, like let's show up, let's dress up, let's talk you know, politely and correctly and concisely, uh, because it only takes 10 seconds of video for them to have their argument. We need to show 10 years of passion, 10 years of business connections, 10 years of community to even, even be considered in this conversation. I definitely like where you're going with that 100%. You know, as far as that whole thing goes, man, I've been very disheartened to see where the hash bash has even gone i mean realistically you say the hash bash nowadays and people don't even connect the the event to push the initial 50-year event to push for legal cannabis legalization they don't even realize that they think about that cup that's afterwards that's that's the hash bash now that can you believe that how sad that is 
as an advocate, that breaks my heart, to be honest with you. Yeah. And then, as you said, I've been there in past years as well. Even the speakers, like you're saying, aren't even speaking with as much passion as they used to. The fight's not over by any means. And, yeah, I agree 100%. Thank you for making light of it. Well, and, you know, I, I'd, you know I'd love to hear myself talk type of thing. So I always think to myself, like, man, we, we really could do better. I mean, let's write a letter. If we got to write a letter, let's write a letter. That works fine too. The two best things you can do is call and then immediately follow up with an email. Just call once a day. Like I always say in my post, polite, concise, and daily. That's the only thing that matters to these people. And they, it, I will tell you on a positive side, when this does work, you call up these places and they'll be like, oh my God, you're the millionth person today to call. And then you know that things are being effective. And I've had a couple of, of legislators tell me like, hey, I'm not going to mess with these cannabis people anymore because my phone never stopped ringing. And, you know, of course we don't want to drown out other needs in the community, but we also can be concise, proactive and polite and really impress people. You know, the lady up by the gas station, my parents got a cabin up North. She can't stand that I'm a cannabis user. Like I come in and I buy papers and she just, she's just disgusted. But she, she always says the same thing to me. She says, well, you're polite. You know, and you're, you know, I'm single and I've never married, don't have kids. And I'm polite and I'm on my own. And I, you know, I help her out and I, you know, I, I, I love her business. I always come up there. And now we're at the point where, you know, she tolerates me. She actually asked me how business is going because she sees that there's another side to it, not just the corporate grab or the, or the corporate we're sick, but we're not really sick, but we want the exposure that we're sick kind of thing. And she, she really has turned a corner over. I took her about five years, I'd say of me going up there and talking with her and, you know, her asking questions. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing because she actually started asking me questions a couple of years ago. And since then her whole mentality has changed, but it's difficult for me to sit here and go, I, I had a person who was vehemently against this now asking questions when I have people in front of me who don't know anything about it, making decisions that affect other people's lives. And again, it's just, you know, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but you know, I, I'll tell you the truth. I voted against legalization and I'd do it again. Like there's days where I wish this was illegal again. I know that sounds crazy, but the standards are that poor commercially. And I, people don't understand because they haven't spent enough time in a commercial grow, right? I always act as a consultant and I always get to see kind of the day-to-day -day things and they just don't realize how different it is. So it's, it's, it's a shortcoming on our part for not educating that, but it's also, uh, I think there's just a, there's not a, the priority pushed to it anymore because either they know that the market's saturated or they simply don't care. And I, I like to think that it's more the market. <laughs> Brought up another good point and that's uh, when, recreational came through how many medical grows through in the towel because it was easier just to get their cannabis through the recreational side of yeah. things uh right quite a few yeah and, and people don't realize how much they shortchange themselves for that you know i mean like here's the thing man i'm a homesteader right i raise chickens rabbits bees you know, i got a dog a cat I, I do you know plants edible mushrooms like all that stuff you know and i'm really into that and it, it's just, I know that a, a farm fresh chicken egg is worth 50 cents, 
right? But I don't try and charge $3 for it, <laughs> right? Because it's, I'd rather give a higher quality product directly to the consumer. And, and I mean, you can apply that to honey, to, you know, to starter plants, to, to cannabis plants, you know, it's, it's, there's a, there's a, there's a direct desire to not compensate quality. And it, it's, it's starting to change. I'm starting to see where more people are requesting quality. So that's good. But boy, I tell you, when I had my grow, you know, up north for a while, I'd say there was probably 10 or 12 of us up there, you know, just kind of in that small little community. I don't think there's but three of them left. And I, I you know, I'm not a part of that anymore because the electricity is just way too much up there. But they're all about outdoor up there and they have some really badass outdoors. But uh, but yeah, it's it's I'd say, man, I bet you 60 percent of that market disappeared. And it's funny because the demand went up exponentially. And the only people that were able to to compensate for that were the commercial growth. So in a sense, their our loss was their win. And that 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 always had a bad taste in my mouth, too. And some of that I've wondered too. I think that a lot of uh, cross line packs came through to bail, make that bail out. <laughs> yeah, <Be honest laughs> yeah. I don't think that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's very accurate. Very, very accurate. Um, and it, it got difficult for a while there. I think things are starting to shape up a little bit, but you know, I'm I'm looking at people throwing events, just trying to survive. You know, people just trying to, trying to eat, man. And it's, you know, I, my goal with cannabis was to educate people to a point where I hope that cannabis could do half of what the auto industry did for our parents, right? Like our parents arguably had the, the greatest period of time to be successful. And if cannabis had an opportunity to do half of that for us, we'd be in a good spot. And I really believe, I thought we did, it would, it would become close to matching, but unfortunately it just hasn't shaken out that way. And that, that part really broke my heart when I kind of realized like, all right, cannabis didn't save Flint. It didn't save Detroit. It, it, it helped, but you know, everything got earmarked or it got, it got muddied or diluted somehow. And it just, it, it really broke my heart. And I'm not necessarily like big on social equity and everything either. Like I want everyone to, to be, I want everyone to just grow their own. That's what I want. Like, I know it sounds self-defeating, but I would really rather just everybody grow their own. But, you know, I think it's going to be a while till even, even landlords come around to that. You know, I was lucky enough to find three landlords in a row that for the extra couple of bucks a month, we're happy to let you grow. Uh, but I also like to live in the country and that helps a lot too. So it's, it's an interesting thing because really it's, it, the, the answer is everybody just grow your own. <laughs> I, I, I agree with that 100%. How come they, you know, they knew in the 70s the power of the core culture, you know, yep. the more spiritual side of things and the rehabilitation side of it. How come that isn't taught in schools? As a teacher, I feel like that's a good question for you. How come, you know, that that side of things, you know, more they teach, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, I can't think of it right now. Um, home ec, you know, cooking, yeah. the, you know, that type of things. But why don't they necessarily teach you more how to, you know, garden, cultivate 
you know, plants, vegetables, stuff like that. You know, I found more, I've learned more about myself, uh, more stuff scientifically, more stuff spiritually through the cultivation of cannabis than I picked up a lot in school, to be honest with you, you know, through the journey of organics, you know, the, every door I open up with organics is gets me deeper spiritually and understands my body more with every every door I open up. So how come they don't teach something more like that, you know, in high school than some of the bullshit that they do teach? So I will tell you, it is still alive in a few places. Macomb Community College, perfect example, has a beekeeping course. Uh, you know, I just happened to grow up in Sterling Heights. So, you know, Macomb Community College, I, had, I think I had two of them actually in, in town. So uh, it is still out there, but I'm going to tell you the truth, man. And this, this is going to suck. The reason they don't teach that is because it's not economical for colleges to teach people how to teach that. Now let that blow your mind for a minute. <laughs> we don't teach what people need to know. We teach what we can pay, what we can charge people to learn to teach. Yeah. Sad, but yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. Every everyone will pay fifty thousand dollars a year to for their, their son or daughter to be an engineer. No one will pay fifty thousand dollars a year for their son to be a you know a, 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 I hate to say soybean. That's the first thing that came to my mind, a soybean farmer, you know, or, or an English teacher for that matter, right? Like they're they're you know, I mean hell, I was a health teacher for Christ's sake. <laughs> like you know, it you know it people are willing to pay for that people aren't willing to pay for you know people to grow a plant right it's uh i suffer msu i'll give msu and then i suppose northern has has some things they're kind of starting to get into it but, but those are colleges you know and i'd also say that a lot of schools are positioned in areas where there's not a lot of arable land and that's probably another reason why i was lucky enough to work at the boys and girls club in kalamazoo almost my entire time in college it's one of my favorite jobs. It's very difficult, but there was a school. It was called uh, Lake Street. It's called the Lake Street Elementary School, or Lake Elementary School. Anyways, it's on the south side, on the southeast side of Kalamazoo. Not the best area, but I will tell you that school had a corner lot. I'd say it was probably, well, boy, I bet you that was a three to maybe it might even been a five acre lot if you included the two parking lots. But they had a beautiful, stunning greenhouse. Absolutely stunning greenhouse and I was lucky enough to be I was what was called the health and life skills coordinator so I you know I taught people how to you know cook food and raise their kids and you know don't shake your baby and you know just healthy stuff how to you know how to uh, you know utilize exercise equipment that kind of stuff but uh, we, we were privileged enough because we got to a point where there was a, a desire for a community garden and I got lucky I was the one who got to do that and I'm talking I think we pulled 3,000 pounds worth of vegetables out of that place in the first year. Like just absolutely just fantastic. But I'll tell you what happened the next year. The, the, the garden uh, didn't get the funding that it needed, so it kind of went under. And then the kids started playing kickball in there, and you know, it was all over after that. But the, the only real place I can think of, and I've taught in Grand Rapids, I've taught in Flint, I've taught in Detroit, I've taught in East Point. The only place that I can think of that has ever had anything even similar to a horticulture or a 4-H was I, 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 I taught in Matawan, Michigan, which is just west of Kalamazoo. I taught there for 
about six months as my pre-internship and they had a 4-H program. So that one, that one was covered. And then the Lake Street Elementary School had a, a greenhouse, but that was it. It's a little sad. I think uh, as far as high school goes, I'm hoping uh, I had some kids that went to Duran for a minute there and they they taught a little bit of agriculture there. They actually, that was kind of funny living out that way because they actually planned their like vacation days and stuff around like harvest days and shit like that, hunting. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is a lot of yeah. school districts playing around that type of stuff anymore. Well, I'll tell you, up in the UP, they actually, uh, they, there's, there was some sort of allowance made. I'm not sure what it was, and, and don't quote me on this, but uh, there's, so, there's such a high percentage of hunters at the school, and the kids live so far from the school, I think they either allowed them to bring their hunting rifle to school or something like that. There was some sort of compromise made. I can't remember what it was, but it was because it was such a part of their culture. You know, I, I think that was up in... Gosh, I want to say that was in like Brimley or something like that, way up there. I remember reading an article about that a couple of years ago. So, you know, it's it's interesting because Madawan was the same way. The, the, almost all the teachers had either a farm or or they were camp counselors was kind of the other thing people did. So uh, that, that idea is still out there. But uh, there's another thing I should mention, too. I met a very, very interesting guy a couple of years ago. Uh, there's this thing, it's called the Southeast Michigan Bee, Bee Association. It's called SEMBA. And, uh, I, you know, I've, I never raised bees until recently, you know, about four or five years ago. So I went to this meeting and I met this guy. Gosh, I can't remember his name. Him and his wife, they were just the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. Uh, but they run a program called Bees in the D. And this guy essentially rents out rooftop property and raises bees and teaches kids about it. So, I mean, that I know that's that's going around. And, and, and it might even be bees in the D. I think that's their their handle or, or I know it as a screen name, whatever you, whatever you call it. Uh, but th they're doing really big things. And I know that there are some schools and community gardens in Detroit that are that are really focusing on that. But those are what are called magnet schools, and they're not everywhere, and they're they're not prevalent either. I would say. Yeah, we used to have uh, the 4-H, and that's another thing. You really don't see anything of a whole lot of uh, in-ground schools anymore, that type of thing either. Yeah, I know, I know MSU is doing their best to hang on to that. I think Central has some grants that, that, that kind of go to that. But, yeah, it's – I mean, it's funny. They, I, I saw – it was a meme, I think, once that said, you might need a doctor a couple of times in your life, you might need a mechanic a couple of times in your life, but you need a farmer three times a day, every day in your life. And uh, to, to think that that the idea of being a farmer is, I don't want to use the word, but outsourced, that just blows my mind. Like I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine, like I couldn't imagine my life without my farm. Like it, it's, it's such a part of my life. I couldn't imagine being so far removed from it that you, that you don't even, you don't even learn about it in school. I mean, they used to teach rifle safety. They used to teach all sorts of stuff like that. You know, I'm not trying to sound like an old buddy duddy here, but there's there's a lot to be there's a lot to be missed of those things. You know, I, gosh, my dad was a mechanic, 
and I'm, I'm just barely now kind of starting to get into mechanics, you know, and I'm 35, you know, but I had a, literally a mechanic as a father with two garages full of tools that just, it never interests me until now that I actually need to know how to use stuff. So I don't have to pay to fix everything. It, it's, it's just crazy. And it makes me wonder if, you know, if the world were to end, you know, would, would anybody be able to survive who has not had those experiences? You know, I think there's a country song that, that sings that and the tagline's like country folks will survive, you know, and it's, it's kind of like the, the whole point is, you know, yeah, you might have your, your book learning, but you know, we, we know how to, I think he goes, we know how to skin a buck and drop a trout line or something like that. And I'm just wondering if that same distance is applied to, to farming now, or has it gone so commercial that they're really, it's, it's really not even, it's really not even agriculture. It's, it's, you know, it's commercial culture. <laughs> so I guess I'm curious as well about, uh, would tell me a little bit about your high times experience. Uh, um, what what happened? What's cool? What, tell me about that. So the high times experience, boy, I'll tell you that they. Uh, I believe that was the largest. I think that was the largest cannabis event of all time up until that point. I think since then we've had larger ones, but I mean that boy, you want to talk about just a breathtaking experience. If I remember correctly, there were people lined up all the way down door highway, you know, for a mile. Um, but that was, that was a really unique experience because what, what that high times cannabis cup, I think it was 2018 or maybe it was 2019. I'm losing track of the years here. Uh, that had way too many people and not enough vendors. And that is just not what's happening lately. Lately, what people have been doing is they've just been loading up as many vendors as they can and hoping for the crowds. And I think we, we got lucky in that sense because not only did we have good marketing and we had good, you know, social media presence and a good product, but we just had it. We had a great crowd. And I just, I don't think we're ever going to see that again because everybody either has their dude or has their store or, you know, has their person or has their store or does it themselves. I mean, I, I can count on one hand, how many times I've been in it, how many times I bought something from a, from a dispensary. And I, you know, I've worked for them for, you know, for years prior, prior to, uh, you know, recently. So it, it just gets you to thinking how many people are really out there. But the, the difference is, is the older folks are coming in more into it. And the younger folks are getting into it sooner. So there's definitely a market replacing those people that have left for personal reasons or are doing it themselves. But uh, the High Times Cannabis Cup was, I think, the last, the last vector of, of that kind of cannabis freedom in Michigan. I hate to say it. I mean, I had a blast. Don't get me wrong. We, we did really well. We, you know, we, won, we won quite a few, few things, and we were happy about that. But uh, truthfully... I just, I don't think we'll ever see something like that again. And I lived out in Colorado for years and I went to those. And I mean, the, the biggest high times cup that I went to out there maybe had 10,000 people. I want to say the one in, in Flint had 30,000 or something like that. So I just, I, I think that there's too much. It, I think it's too much for the community. People don't want the advertising. People don't want the, you know, everyone showing up and, you know, into their town and everything all the time. So it's, it's, 
it's tough because the the it, you know if it makes dollars it makes sense but it's also difficult to create that type of environment again now that the restrictions have been placed on people that have been placed if that makes any sense I mean, well, I'm hoping that, that we do kind of get back to that. I think some of that was the unfortunate pandemic situation that yeah. put a, a big squash to that. I think we were, you know, full tilt to that point, and then that kind of like just pulled the rug out from underneath us. But I, I, I'm, I think we'll be back to that. I think that process right there, uh built a, a real strong cannabis community and i think even more so i think that people are starting to realize <clears throat> if they want to get back to that more kind of sewer or uh cannabis they they have to go to these events to yep. to get to be honest with it yeah so yep. I, I think hopefully that'll keep fueling things well you know i i couldn't i couldn't I can't, I can't argue with that because it seems to be that's what's happening. It seems to me like people who know go to events and people who don't go to shops. And I'm not trying to belittle anyone or say anything negative about anyone, but that's just been my experience. Like at the shops, you see people come in and buy smaller amounts and they buy it more frequently. And then at, at these events, you see people come in and they donate in larger amounts because I think this, I, I think they, they just know. And it's, it's kind of crazy to think that, that there's that much of a dichotomy in the, in the market, but boy, I'll tell you, I can't, I can't really think of any other explanation. <laughs> no, I think that they just understand where that's where it's at. And I think they just liked it moreover, like the more, farmer's market appeal with it you know being able to one-on-one -on -one a little bit more with the grower the caregiver you know who doesn't like that you know what i mean that's when i buy seeds that's where i like to buy my seeds you know i can yep. buy anything online but i prefer to and event, you know be able to talk to the breeder or whatever one-on-one -on -one, see what they're excited with and again you can talk to somebody but when it's that one-on-one -on -one and you can see the sparkle in their eye, you know what I mean? Their face yep. tighten up real good with that smile. You go, hmm, there might be something there. You might yep. just like put back that pack you had in yeah. mind and go, well, that, that yep. might be it right there. <laughs> yep, I 100% I agree. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the selling eggs on the side of the road type idea, right? There's, there's just some authenticity to it. Right on. And uh, I, you've been uh, actually putting together a couple of some events like that, correct? Yeah, it's been a, it's been kind of a new adventure for me. Uh, so far, it's been really, really good, really positive. Uh, I did not realize quite how much work it is to to be involved in that, you know, and I, I'm on an ancillary kind of position. Right. But I, I, I still I can tell you it's it's really unbelievable to see how different expectations can be between people. So we have people that show up to an event, you know, like, let's just say like the high times cannabis cup that don't know anything about cannabis, 
And then all of a sudden they're literally swimming through clouds of cannabis, right? And then you have people who show up and they're there for 10 minutes, they buy exactly what they want and then they leave. And then you have the other 90% of people who are just kind of there for the experience, right? And once they, once they have that experience, I don't think they're, they're turned off, right? I think they're, they're, they're kind of brought into the community actually is what I would say. It's almost more like a, a positive hazing type ceremony. Like you got to go to your first show to, to, to understand like what this is really about. And then the other part that I like about it is, is you can employ, you can employ people that are your friends, you know, people you might know that are performers and stuff like that. There's a more personal aspect to it. But uh, the truth of the matter is, is people just, they want a story. Just like you said, they don't want to buy something online. They want a story. And if you, if you can present yourself in a way and you answer questions intelligently and you give a decent product, at least you're already ahead of the game. It's like, I tell these commercial places, like if you guys want to grow the most, that's fine. But if you want to grow the best, you need to, you know, you, you need to really invest in that. And when they do that, they see, they see exactly what I mean by this. Like they can have a better story, right? These, these commercial grows, they want to hire people and then kind of take their story. But the reality is, is it's almost always an older guy and his son or an older guy and his daughter or an older woman and, and their children or their grandchildren or their son-in-law or their daughter-in-law. So to have a, to have the ability to point to like dirty hands. I don't, I don't necessarily mean dirty hands, but to be able to have some calluses on your hand, shake your hands with the farmer and to be able to do those type of things. It's, it's just more, it's more personal. And you can't do that with an event that has 75 vendors, right? It's just, it's just not the way it works. So it's quickly becoming more about the entertainment and the cannabis is kind of more of the side thing, you know, where people want to just come and have a, a social experience and then just have cannabis be a part of that. It's interesting to see though. I believe there's, there's a lot of laws that are you know governing, keeping cannabis and alcohol separate, which, you know, I, I have no problem with, but um, it's just interesting that they don't want you consuming outdoors unless you're out of visible sight from people, but you can basically drink anywhere, right? Like you can drink on the river walk, you can drink on these types of things. So I would like to see a consistency be applied to both places but unfortunately at this time i don't think we're seeing that <laughs> so if somebody were in uh we're wanting to get in touch to you about putting on an event or getting you know being a part of one that you're uh having how could they do so so that's real easy. Uh, you know, you can feel free to call me. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, gosh, I'm starting to starting to show my age here. You can feel free to message me on at 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 Mason Grew or I'm a, a part of a partnership as stands for uh, the, the acronym is C3Q Michigan. So that stands for Cannabis Community Culture and Quality. So you can find us on there and we've we've managed to have this this kind of beautiful like private little club that's that's you know garnered a little bit of attention so we're happy about that but the easiest way to do that is just contact me through either one of those because i i hate to admit it i don't have a, a secretary so i just allow the the uh the text messages to kind of be my filing system so i i use that as kind of my way of understanding who i need to uh, you know to uh, who i need to interact with first so uh, I promise you, I, I, I'm not ignoring you. I do, 
I do do a lot of driving, so I'm on the road a lot. So, you know, it's, it's not easy for me to, to do, to do the social interaction unless I'm sitting down, but I promise you when I sit down, I try and get everybody done at once. And the, uh, the demand to be vendor or demand to be, uh, you know, spotlighted caregiver or something like that is certainly there. And I'm starting to see that people are, are happier to be a part of something smaller and private than they are to be a part of something larger and uh, let's say less less warm. You know, we're a small warm type of thing. And this the larger types are, they tend to be a little bit colder. It's a little bit more competitive, I guess would be the word. Whereas we're trying to be more cooperative. I'd rather have, you know, it's just like when I, when I consult with people for their, for their grows, how many people do we need for this? Well, we need eight people who know what they're doing or we need 12 people who are willing to learn, right? I'd rather work with the eight people who know what they're doing than try and, you know, as, as silly as it is for a teacher to say, you, I did, say to you, I don't want to teach. It's, you know, it's the same principle applied to these, these events. So that's always kind of been what my experience has been. And it's nice to be a part of the community too, you know, to be invited to things, to be included. You know, I definitely think you're on to something there on the, about the smaller event type thing. I, that's another thing that I think we took away from the pandemic type uh, last few years is, you know, we can't necessarily rely on a more of a large scale money operation system. We need to take care of things more locally. You know what I mean? Keep more keep funds at home. And I think that's where our uh, people have woke up through that, you know, they seen high times come through here and, and towards the end, it wasn't even, you know, once a year, it was two, yeah. three, four times, you know what I mean? And they see yep. they, these, they rape, uh, they, they come in here, they rape our caregivers, our vendors for spots. And then they pull out, they take all that money right out of state and i think a lot of people got hip to that and decided that you know we'd rather <laughs> buy local sell local you know support each other than you know go to some of these larger events and plus i like you said that it's more the feel of being able to talk and you know and it's it's a better thing all around i think i, I prefer them myself yes i i i, I can't I can't think of a better way to do it. You know, I really can't um, other than everybody do it themselves, <laughs> of course. But uh, the, the, the most important thing I can say about the intimacy that's offered by, by smaller events or smaller venues is that I think it allows people who would otherwise be uncomfortable a chance to be comfortable, right? I, I, I've, I've had this experience said to me on multiple occasions, I've had people say, Doug, I went to this huge 50 plus vendor event and I didn't find one thing that I wanted. I didn't find one thing that I thought was worthwhile. And then I've had people come and say, Doug, it took me two minutes to find everything that I needed at this smaller event. And it's, it's just, it's, I think there's, there's a mentality, right? Like people, there's people that don't like to shop at Meyer because it's too big of a store. Right. I, that, I, that doesn't compute with me, but that's why Walgreens does well or Dollar Tree does well. And I think in that sense, we're offering people a more comfortable environment. 
and the intimacy that comes with that is I don't think you can replace that. So when is the next uh, event? I know we just missed one there. You just had one uh, this week. I wish I would have known prior. I would have helped, you know, throw that out for everybody because I, I prefer to support, you know, all of our local folks as well. So when is the next one that uh, they may be able to keep their eye open for? So I'm thinking probably, you know, I'd like to do them every six to eight weeks if possible. Uh, but we'll see. It's, it's, it's really, it's funny. You'd say that you wish you had known earlier because it's not, it's not your fault that you didn't. It's, uh, it's actually, uh, it's, it's difficult to get ads out. Um, even, even in print, I did a print ad and that, you know, that was, that was pretty easy. I'll, I'll admit that guy was pretty good. It was from the, uh, a paper called the rolling paper. The guy is super nice. I think his name was Chris, really nice guy. Uh, he took really good care of us, but everything else was really difficult. Like we got rejected on a lot of things for, you know, formatting and like little incidental things. And then at the very end, right before the event was supposed to happen, they, they released the ad. So there's a little bit of difficulty there. Finding a the venue is also really difficult. Uh, it's, it, 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 you either find people who are willing to just give it to you or people who want, you know, five grand for it. So it, it's hard to find that middle ground. But I think we have most of those problems figured out. And I, I'd say at the maximum, I'd like to have another one in, in no more than two months. That's awesome. I, you know, I myself, I appreciate the work because I know how much of a hassle that shit can be. And again, I don't think, like you said, people realize how much work it is to put on an event like that. And, I, and again, I appreciate the fact that you're giving the caregivers and other vendors, you know, a shot to stay alive, if you will, right. throughout this rough time. Right, man. And that's that's our whole thing, man. We don't charge, you know, we don't charge nothing. Well, we don't charge, we don't, we really it's very inexpensive to, to work with us because that's like, we're not trying to make our money on the booths. We're just trying to have, have something. We're just trying to have something that we're just all trying to eat, man. And that's, and that's where, that's where that authenticity comes from. You know, people, I can't tell you how kind people were. I can't tell you how amenable people were, how uh, considerate people were. It's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's just a collective mentality. And I think if you focus on quality, you really can't fail. The only thing that, that could do you any wrong is bad weather at that point. You know, that one of the favorite things about the events I like is it's a two-way street. Yeah. You know, people get to enjoy quality cannabis and that. But moreover, as the people that produce the cannabis, as they talk to these people, as we're, you know, the one-on-ones we're referring to, it, it gives us more fuel for why we do what we do. You know what I mean? Hearing the stories and how it affects people and all that, it just gives us the more drive to head back into the garden to produce all the more quality cannabis. You know, so it's a reincurring recharging of the batteries for the caregivers as well, you know, I think. Right. And that's, that's exactly right. And at this point, you know, if you've survived, you, you might've survived, which is good, but uh, it's, it's the whole purpose is so that people don't have to 
basically piss away their investment. You know, I mean, I, shit, I mean, I put way too much money into my grow, you know, I, I, I'd sooner live at my grow than, than, than give it up because it's, it, there's so much equipment in there. It's just, it's expensive. And to, ex, to expect people to be able to drop on a dime and just change their life like that. It's just unreasonable. That's, that's what drove me to Lansing was is that these guys, these guys are making those decisions, not knowing that their yes or no vote will literally change someone's occupational status. Right. And that's, that's, you know, it's, it's that important. Uh, the other thing I will say though, is I don't understand why we can't have both. Right. I, I don't understand why there can't be good commercial and, and good smaller venues, but there's just this competing directive. There's this uh, competitive, it's almost like a diaspora, right? Like, like where there's only a few of us left in this area and we're, we're competing to raise what was originally what supported all this. And now the people who are just coming in are offering this, this watered down cheap and commercial version of the same thing. And then they're trying to step on your throat too. So it, it's the, the thing that makes all this work is, is cooperation. And I think that the people that are able to still cooperate are willing to, but the people who, who are, you know, they got to, to feed their kids or they got to, you know, put gas in their car. They just don't have the option anymore to be a part of that. And, and I mean, really that's the saddest thing of the, the whole thing is taking out the OGs, you know, taking out the people who've been doing this and hell man, I haven't been, I didn't start doing this till it was legal. I mean, I, of course I wasn't, you know, I also wasn't old enough to really know when cannabis was truly illegal. Cause I mean, even when I, when I got into high school, I think Colorado and Hawaii were still medically legal. So it was, you know, it was still part of the conversation. So for people to, for people not to understand that there's like, there's enough room for everybody. It just blows my mind. You know, it's, it's become this tit for tat thing. And, and, and now we have a dichotomy, right? When we should have had a, a much larger sea of people to pick from it. And sure, I understand like you're on your way up north. You can't call your caregiver to, to get you a joint. But you certainly could have called them the week before to deliver you exactly what you wanted, exactly what you expected at exactly the price you agreed on. And you just, if, if we're making apples to oranges comparisons. You know, I'm seeing now that they're allowing dispensaries to deliver. And I just, I would be interested to see how many people actually utilize that service? Um, because I bet you it's a lot. And that that's, you know, that was really a leg cut out from the caregiver, right? It, I know I've, I have patients, or I've had patients, unfortunately, I've had some that have, you know, passed and others that have just gone recreational that, that literally just don't want to be seen in the dispensary. And that blew my mind. When that guy told me that, I knew a guy who was a, an engineer for Ford. He was one of my patients for years. Really good guy, super smart guy, but he was like, "Doug, I just can't risk being seen at the dispensary," and I, I kind of really changed my mind about what use a dispensary could could be, right? And if if we're all able to do all the same things, you know, deliver and 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 have multiple patients, um, you know, the only difference is going to be customer service and the product, of course. But I I, I struggle to see how there's not enough for everybody. And I, it just, it breaks my heart to see, you know, even, even good competitive, even good businesses compete, you know, on the commercial scale, you know, I think of places like Bloom City Club or, or, uh, you know, what is it called? Ann Arbor Wellness. Like, you know, people that I've known from when I got my start, really good people 
that are that are shit. I mean, one of them got robbed recently. The other one, you know, they're just they're just they're hacking prices on each other, you know. And then there's these this outside group that's just lowballing the entire market, and it's 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 just heartbreaking. It really is because there's just enough room for everyone. There really is, but I think the elephant in the room wants the rest of the room. And that's that's that just doesn't fly well with me. I think it's funny about the guy that doesn't want or the you know whoever doesn't want to be seen in the dispensary. I think that's eh, kind of funny in my opinion. You know what I mean? For one. I think anybody that would be in the dispensary is like right in that alley. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. To where they'd yeah, be like, I, I knew, I knew he was cool. You know what yeah, I right, mean? Right. And I don't think <laughs> they would be that dick at work that was like, I seen him at the dispensary. Da, 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 da. You know what I mean? So I, I don't think you're going to run into the asshole that you're in fear of at work. So I think you're more apt to run into your own kind there. So I think that's kind of funny, uh, that aspect of it. But um, oh, he he yeah. always made made me laugh. He he was just I mean it was before he smoked he was always paranoid. He always made you wonder what he was like afterwards. Yeah, that'd be like it's, I've said that about the the show too. The same thing, people. He well, you're only gonna run into the only people that you know, like the like minds in the chat so i, I think you're good <laughs> i don't like, think this is gonna land on the wrong dust to be honest. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like my, my grandma always says you know the birds of a feather flock together right yeah. I, in fact that's the way i've always seen it you know i've actually seen a lot of people that are you know in dispensaries i've been on that side of things and went, yeah i like you a little bit more now yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, it's no different, right? Like, there's people that, you know, uh, that are sommeliers, right? People who really know wine, right? And they want to express their knowledge of wine, right? I, I feel like I'm like that with cannabis. Like, I just want to express my knowledge with cannabis. But it's funny because I'll sit down to anybody. And I'll tell you, hey, I'm Doug. I'm, you know, I work in the cannabis industry. This is what I do. Like, you know, without even thinking about it. And I've, I've had people you know, look at me funny. And I just, I, I think to myself, like, what is it going to take for, for that to just be a normal thing? But I will say conversely on the flip side, it does often turn into, Hey, let me take you out to lunch tomorrow. So, uh, you know, being in the cannabis industry does have a few other, uh, outside perks. Hand in hand anyway. So yeah, good thing. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a good meal after some cannabis, that's for sure. Right, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, when I was out in Colorado, they started doing those three, four, five course meals that were cannabis infused. And uh, gosh, I just can't remember the name of the place, but I used to work with a guy, his name was Tommy. He was a, he was a really good guy, I liked him. And Tommy used to go to this place called, it was called Wild or like Into the Wild or, no, that's a book, something, something wild. But basically the idea, idea was is you you could only purchase game that you could eat and eat, kill and eat in Colorado right so it's like extremely local in that way and they started doing these three four or five course cannabis meals and I mean it was a hit 
And there was a place uh, that that used to be in, you know, maybe not the best part of town. I used to live in uh, in uh, Capitol Hill. And Capitol Hill was known to have some problems. And there was a place uh, right down the road from me. I, I used to live on Pearl and Colfax. That place was on, I think, like Colfax and is it Mallory or something like that. It was right down the road. And that was a, bread, a bed and breakfast. And it was the only, at that time, it was the only bed and breakfast that allowed you to consume cannabis on site. Uh, you know, and it was right next to the dispensary and the grow that I worked for. And this place was booked out for three years ahead of time because they were the only place where you, you, you know, you could really do that. And then people kind of started getting a little bit more loose and they would, you know, smoke on their porch or smoke out in the park or whatever. And I always found, and I will say this for Colorado, there's a couple of things I didn't like about Colorado. I hated not having any water. I hated not having a mire. But man, they sure had a few things right. Their people were fit. They were almost all in shape. And everybody like everybody made an effort to be good with cannabis around like children or people that weren't weren't involved in the community. So like people weren't puffing, you know, big giant smoke clouds in people's faces as they walked by. There was an etiquette to it. There's a park, it was called Cheeseman Park. And then there was another park called Wash Park, Washington Park. And that's where you could just go. And I mean, you had your little space and the cops didn't mess with you as long as you didn't have kids around or you weren't, you know, uh, you know, being a nuisance. They really allowed for that vibe. And it, it was interesting to, on one side of the street, see only the bed and breakfast allow that type of lifestyle. And then to go down the road and see, you know, it's, it's back to, you know, the merry pranksters type of thing where people are, 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 are quite, quite overt with things. And it just, it was an interesting dichotomy to see because somehow Colorado at that time didn't allow, didn't allow commercial interest to override the lifestyle. And I, I'd say there was Boulder was like that too, but Boulder was, I don't, I don't use this word too often, but Boulder was super heady. They were just a very heady town and they really did a lot to protect their local caregivers and their local businesses. So I, I, I have to say I was pretty impressed with that. Where has been your favorite cannabis location so far? It seems like you've been around a little bit in the in your cannabis journey. What's been one of your favorite spots so far? Uh, so as a consumer, man, I got to say, I think the best dispensary I've ever been in, and I've been, you know, I've worked, I've, I've, when I say been in, like been in and like been there, not as a tour, like went there personally. Um, I think honestly, man, it's, it was Colorado Alternative Medicine. That's where I used to live. That's where I used to work. And, and uh, I used to live by there in Colorado. And then in, in Michigan, I, I got to admit, High Level Health is doing a great job. Uh, I used to work for them too. So, you know, I say that with a, with a little bit of pride. And uh, honestly, man, I think Bloom City Club has the best dispensary I've ever been in. That's, I think that's the woman owned dispensary in Ann Arbor. And I think they just, I think they do it absolutely right. Their ambiance, their people, their products. Uh, I was very, very, very impressed by them. I've worked with them for years back in the day when you, when it was easier to do that. And I was always very, very impressed with them. So I, I see new flavors here as well. Uh, are you venturing into the breeding side of cannabis? 
So, so it's funny you'd say that because I'm thinking about it. Um, luckily, I, I've had some good relationships with some with some really solid breeders. Uh, you know, third coast. I've been running just. I went to Gene Traders a couple couple of Gene Traders ago, and I you know I just kind of spent a bunch of money, and I got I got some good stuff. Uh, I want to say I got some scapegoat. I got some third coast. I got. Uh, uh, who is it? The one, the, the ones that do like rainbow Cushman's and like breath stank and stuff like that. And I, I was always one who was like, eh, that stuff's all garbage, blah, 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 blah. But I would tell you that I've been running the same strains that I've had for, you know, close to a decade and they're, they're getting tired. You know, they're just not putting out what they used to. And it's time for some new stuff. And I've really focused on, on cultivating a, a nice seed and pheno hunt kind of, kind of, portion of my life right now because i would like to get into breeding because if i have to move again which it's looking like i might for this new uh consultation job that i'm doing i would really like to keep my old facility just for breeding but i'm gonna have to hire like like some good person like a med grower or a you know a third coast or a scapegoat i'm gonna have to hire somebody like that to come teach me some stuff because i'll admit that I don't even think I'm a pollen chucker at this point. I, I, I don't think I have much of those skills, but I am always accepting new seeds and clones. And because of that in my personal purchases, I've actually been able to, to restock a lot of new flavors. Uh, a couple of the latest big hits have been uh, strawberry candy, nose candy, uh, sweet pink pie has kind of made a comeback. That was one of my original ones. Uh, Detroit cookies was another one. I, I wasn't, thrilled with the output on that but the quality was really high um i'm trying to think i got a whole bunch from scapegoat i bought the i think the most expensive pack of seeds at the gene trader i went to it was a blissful wizard number 60 and i'm getting ready to pop those now and i think i'm really excited to see what comes of that uh a lot of hashers a lot of uh death star crosses you know i'm you know, I was for a while there. I was really trying to work in the in the rosin market, and that that was kind of the, the the big name of the game there. But other than that, that's all I can think of off the top of my head. But uh, oh, I I got a good gorilla butter from from one of my buddies, and you know I normally laugh at that kind of stuff, but I got to admit that was a good one. And unfortunately, I have to say goodbye to to my very very good grease monkey. It's just uh, it's time, so I'm looking to replace that with some of those heavy heady. Uh, Death Star type hasher type of plants. So that'll be kind of the new thing, but it's going to be a year before I really have any of those figured out because I've been, I just started planting the seeds not too long ago. But uh, this time next year, I should have a, a full stock. And then from there, I'd like to, I'd like to breed out maybe some of the better ones. But again, it's, it's not the biggest priority for me, but it's definitely the next thing I'd like to get into. I'm also interested in tissue culture. That's uh, that's something I think's gonna be huge. I I'm hoping anyway, uh, mainly for breeding purposes. I think it's gonna it will help clear up a lot of the monk. Uh, basically, you know, there's just so much stuff out there and so many BXs. Yeah, so many breeders putting forth their version, but not necessarily saying it's their version of yeah. you know what i mean yeah uh, i'm hoping that 
tissue culture will eliminate a lot of that shit because they'll know they they won't have to. You know what I mean? They'll always be able to go back to the breeder and get that that stock. So I think hopefully that'll eliminate a lot of the bullshit. Well, and from what I understand, it's like, you know, it's it's not, I'm not trying to belittle this, but it's not terribly complicated from what I understand. Like I understand the biology and the physiology and the makeup of that might not be easy to explain, but I, as I understand the processes are actually pretty easy. So, I mean, I got a buddy who just, who just graduated a couple of years ago with a biology degree and he got into that. I want to say he, he's got to be making, he's got to be making six figures. I mean, just rehabilitating people's strains. And I mean, I, I love the guy, but he's not, not the, you know, not the most passionate person I've ever met. And uh, he's really just doing an excellent job. I think he's even teaching classes now with it. So I'd be interested to get into that too, because I think if you're a grower without that capability, I mean, that's like being a grower who can't clone or something like that. It's just, it just doesn't seem to make much sense. Yeah, yeah, there's just so many pluses to the tissue culture. I really hope it becomes more affordable. I think I hope more breeders look into holding their stock like that. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. It's the healthiest plant, it takes up the least amount of space. So uh, what have been uh, some of your favorites to cultivate so far as far as uh, your, your person, you personally would have been some of your favorites? Oh yeah. So I, uh, you know, I'll always, I'm a, I'm a, a guy, I'm a old soul at heart. So of course the, the first thing I'm going to tell you about was one of my first strains that I ever grew is actually the first seed I ever popped. It was a star killer. By uh, Rare Dankness, one of my favorite breeders. Excellent, super nice guy too. His name is Scott. He'll talk to you all day. He'll give you his phone number. He'll send you every email and everything that you could possibly think of. He t- he takes care of people. So I always I always go back to that. I had a really great Durban Poison that was just fantastic. I really really enjoyed that. That was one of my favorite strains. Unfortunately, I've had to phase that out because it's just it's it's old. It's just so old at this point. Uh, but other than that, um, some of these new ones that I'm liking, uh, the nose candy is really good. I really like that one. I also am I'm liking the strawberry candy. Uh, the Detroit cookies was good. I just would have liked to have seen a little more production out of that. But cultivation-wise, uh, I am really starting to see a lot more, a lot more quality strains coming out that that I really, you know, I don't tend to make a catalog right i'll just i'll buy a hundred you know a hundred seeds of one thing and i'll just run it but there's a lot now where i'm finding myself saving packs uh you know for down the road versus like hey let's just see what we get and i think that has a lot to do with the fact that there's just so much there's so much fire and so much heat coming out right now that you kind of you get it and you want to hold on to it i hate to say that as a grower but it's true I move through things so quickly. It's funny how you have so much weight with one thing until that next thing comes through. And then you're like, man, what was that? <laughs> what was that? Why did 
that's uh summer loving i think is how they described it in that movie <laughs> right yeah. but what about you what are, what are some experiences that you've had recently are you uh are you, is there anything that sticks out in your mind that you've seen in the community that it's really positive or really negative. Yeah. Well, as far as, you know, positive things, you know, um, I think more and more people are starting to have an interest in growing, which I think is huge. I think more and more people are starting to pick up on that lag that you're speaking of. I think they're more wanting to get more involved with cannabis uh, politics, because I, I think we all kind of fear what could be happening here real quickly with uh, recreational cannabis. And I th think that's the home grow will be swept under the rug. So I think more and more people are kind of waking up to needing to be there. I like the, the fact that you did point out that, you know, we should take a little bit more time and speak a little bit more legibly when we get to that microphone uh, will help immensely our cause. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad the fact, of the fact you brought light of that. So as far as negative things, I don't like to necessarily make light of the negative. You know what I mean? Uh, it has a tendency on its own to just spread like a wildfire. You know, putting yeah. any light to anything bad is just, you know, adding fuel to it. But there is a lot of good things going on in the cannabis community. I see, you know, <clears throat> more and more things being done with cannabis as far as like edibles, uses, um, tincture uses and stuff like that. Uh, more uh, people that we were talking about earlier, more people that uh, were afraid of cannabis before. I've seen a lot more people wake up to cannabis, even in my own family, uh, who uh, were very, uh, very, uh, not, not open to cannabis at all. And I don't know what honestly opened the door to it because they're very uh, religious, that side of the family. And now all of a sudden, uh, they seem to be more open to topicals and stuff like that. I don't know if they, I honestly think it's the age, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> back in like the younger days when they had more fight in them, they were definitely like, fuck cannabis, you know? Yeah. And that was sadly a lot of the reasons why I didn't see a lot of them because their attitude towards cannabis really, we didn't, we just clashed there. But since they've gotten older, I think they just realized it's a more affordable option and it's more beneficial. They see, you know, uh, more of an impact from the cannabis creams than the shit they buy or prescribe from their doctors. So that's, you know, it's, it's nice. That's really positive. I love seeing people waking up to cannabis all ages all forms of you know, walks of life. I love and I love hearing them stories. So that's one of my favorite things and the positive things I see about cannabis is slowly but surely people are waking up. I just think like you pointed out, we need to have more of a 
a hand in guiding it through the rest of the way. Otherwise, we would just get screwed in the end. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I agree. That's that's unfortunate, but it's true. I, uh, you know, the other thing I'm seeing is a lot of, uh, like you said, a lot of spinoff, a lot of spinoff businesses. You know, merchandise, uh, even packaging. I mean, that's, gosh, I I can only imagine how many packaging companies have erupted just because of the the need for packaging and cannabis. So I mean, I I like to see that community that community grow, and I like to see people have different avenues to to be a part of this, but also you know be hands off so to speak so it's it's been interesting i wonder if i wonder if we're going to be able to i wonder if we're going to be able to turn the corner collectively as a country or if it's still going to be you know state by state you know one at a time i'm hoping that some sort of federal bill comes through but i don't know they've been saying that for like five years so i don't know how much we can we can rely on that Are you there? Oh, yep, I'm here. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It just came through. Yeah, I've been rambling for about two minutes now. My <laughs> mic off, muted. Oh, that's all right. I do it. I all just time. happened to look up. I just happened to look up, <laughs> seeing that that red line through the mic, and go, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I I, uh, I I do it quite frequently. I I wonder if there's a there, there maybe that's the next invention. We can figure out a way to for it to do it uh, automatically, and we could be millionaires, and start our own grow. <laughs> oh, oh, now Lord. I'm totally squirreled because of my mute. Oh man, that's all right. Oh, so uh, I'm looking at these seeds I got here. It's uh, raw genetics waffles. I remember getting these from a young man. He must have been, he couldn't have been more than 20, 21. He was very nice. Uh, so scapegoat, mega, which is Death Star crossed with Death Star crossed with mainline OG. That one I'm going to look forward to. Uh, Moods, that's Hell's OG crossed with Death Star crossed with OG. So there's some heavy hashers. Um, I got some stuff from my, from my buddy out in Hawaii uh, called Tropical Aurora. And Dignit, I can't remember which which one is which, but um, I I did grow the Tropical Aurora recently, and it was it was it was very very fruity. I really I really liked it. So I'll be uh, trying to get that going here in a little bit. But I'll tell you, it's them tropical strains, man. They sure don't produce much. <laughs> No, and I think they they evolve a little bit more of a cure time to be everything they could be. And that's hard for me to say because I'm not on the cure side of the fence. That's a whole other subject for me. I, I think cannabis uh, 
I, I think when we, you talk about the cure, I think you're trying to just turn it into something that it's not. You know what I mean? Right. We, right. I think when it's more fresh, there's that, that just after being able to harvest it, jar it, maybe even jar it for a few weeks, you can, you were more able to individualize the terps, the flavors. You can sit back with that, with that joint, hit it, and go, ooh, yeah, I can taste a little, you know what I mean? And then hit it again and go, mm, yeah, yeah, I get, I, I pick up a little, but I think a cured cannabis, you just kind of, mm, yeah, fruit punch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's that's definitely I I see that play out quite a bit. <laughs> so, are you a flower guy? I heard you mention that at one point it sounded like you dabbed a little bit, or, but I and I also heard you mention flower, which you prefer these days. Oh boy, I'll tell you, I don't I don't get into the dabs too much. I, I have a weird experience with them. They either work but they don't work as i expect or they just don't seem to work i don't know it's it's they just don't work for me but i you know i, I as silly as it sounds like i tell people all the time like i really don't smoke that much because we we smoke higher quality flour and i like just a bubbler or a bong or even just a plain old pipe and it kind of kind of makes people laugh they're like oh you don't want this puffco peak and all this like advanced silly stuff and i'm just like nope I just take a regular old pipe, you know, and I think that's kind of getting to your point where you're able to kind of have a better experience, have a more textured, a more layered experience. So uh, I actually had a buddy who got me into that. He's like, yeah, man, I don't use nothing but a pipe. And I kind of got to thinking about it. And I'd say more often than not. So it's, it just kind of fits perfectly. The bubbler, bubbler is my favorite. Like just a little handheld sidecar bubbler or a nice straight tube water pipe, I guess is what we were supposed to call them. Uh, but yeah, that, that's been kind of my method is just, just flower. And if I'm feeling, feeling a little crazy, I'll add some keef to it. But it's funny, man. You can't even give keef away anymore. I used, to, I used to collect it and I'd make pucks out of it and save it. You know, I sometimes when I was short on a patient or something, I'd give them one of those and stuff. And now people don't. They don't even want it. So I think that that transition over to the dab side is, has really taken over, but uh, Hey man, to each their own, I'm not against it. I just, uh, it's just, it's just too much. I'd rather just light a bowl and, 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 and go, but uh, I do have an email. So actually I have two of them. One's for shows and one's for personal use, but uh, I'd say I use it like maybe four or five times a year. I'm really funny like that. I'll do joints for like the first three months of the year. And then I'll do a bowl for the next three months. And then I'll do a water pipe for the next three months. And then I'll do a combination of the four. It's kind of, I guess it's seasonal. Right. Uh, I can appreciate that. I go through my little phases. Of, well, uh, when I make my ass, so I can tell you what. It doesn't matter how I'm smoking it; it's got hash and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hash, hash rules everything around me. <laughs> so, 
Uh, I heard you mention at one point uh, you were on the, the rosin uh, rails there. You were riding that wave as well. How do you feel about that as rosin as a medicine? Uh, you, I, <laughs> it breaks my heart that I actually I watched some of these hazard, uh, ha rosin artists. There we go. Press yep. some of this hash, the, the bubble hash. I, I, I say a lot of times that I think that that whole process was kind of put forth by some of these pressing companies just to show you these rivers of rosin. I just think, you know, again, kind of just relating back to the medicine mindset, I just believe there's too much loss in the processes there. You know, when as soon as you throw it in the water, you're losing turps, you're losing oil, you're losing, you, and then you're, you know, throughout the whole process, you're losing, losing, losing. And then you're, you know, you gained what you're left with some medicine there. What is it? The medicine, you know what I mean? I think we're kind of uh, taking it directionally at that point. That's my opinion. Yeah. How do you feel about it? Yeah, there's definitely a surgical precision to what you lose there. I, I definitely can agree with that. Um, and there certainly is a, uh, a video or a, a audit, you know, a, a visual stimulation from seeing, you know, rivers of rosin or whatever, but I, <clears throat> I, you know, what I like about it is, you know, it's getting kind of farther away from hydrocarbons. So, you know, that's, that's always a better thing for me, but uh, I just, uh, I really found that rosin, gosh, I, I don't want to say it like this, but it just kind of got old on me. I mean, I tried it for about a week and you know, I had a, a really good guy do it for me too. Like one of the, one of the best guys I know, and it certainly worked, but it just, it's, it's, uh, it's too difficult to dose correctly. That's always been my experience. That's, that's why I don't really mess with edibles either because they're just, you know, difference between an edible on Tuesday and Wednesday or empty stomach or a full stomach or hydrated or not. It just ends up being too, too unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. Again, man, I don't know. For me, I'm about, saving money and when i when i think about squish and take how much cannabis it takes to reduce down to that i appreciate the connoisseur effect of it all but man i think all about all the lost joints there <laughs> the lost joints or bulls that can take you so much further than that that little rosin bed right it, it does seem to have a, a bit of uh showmanship to it right it's it might be might be more visually appealing but yeah, I, I'll tell you, you can't, you know, I look at a bag of weed that I, you know, that I create or that I, that I get or whatever. And I, I do think like you in this sense, like, all right, that's a couple of good joints in there, you know, so I can appreciate what you, what you're saying there. But I, uh, I, you know, there's, there's, it's pretty in the jar. It looks nice. It smells good, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's extremely laborsome and you know, you're, gosh, you're, you're lucky to get what, five seven percent return on that type of stuff and even that's pretty good so i uh i i bless the people who are willing to do that and do all that work for it but for me yeah just try and cure it right and, and just throw it in a bowl or a joint but you know it's, i tell you i work for some of these guys that you know they're, they've been doing this for 30 40 years they can't even roll a joint 
these guys just have these little puffco peaks and stuff so it's it's funny i think it kind of it has its it's you know it has its audience but uh I, from what i understand the the rosin market is just just absolutely dropped recently so you know it's gets back to that that comment you made about three dollar dabs in oklahoma I'm, I'm not surprised at all you know and I, I can see that happening you know pretty quickly here if it hasn't already uh you know even including rosin so from what i understand that's already kind of starting to happen feel like in some ways the larger scale markets the outdoor grows that we talked about earlier have kind of destroyed the extract market and in some ways i think at some point like color the color of the hash all yeah. kind of stemmed from all these guys out like say cali that had large harvests and that they couldn't deal with that they were all like mm, if we pull it early yeah. throw it in the freezer <laughs> you know what i mean yeah Man, you guys love this fucking clear beach sand don't you it's super <laughs> heady yeah it's because it was a cost effective you know deal for them yeah and i think that that dictated the hash market for a long time and i don't know I don't think it's accurate, to be honest with you. Yeah. And moreover, yeah, I think it forced a whole generation into dabs. I think a lot of the the people just kind of coming into cannabis uh, don't appreciate flour as much because they've been used to dabs, 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 dabs. You know what I mean? That's that's their first choice. They don't want to deal with the dirty flour. They want the dab. Yeah, and it's gotten to the point now where people want to customize their dabs even, you know, they want a flavor profile of one and then a cannabis or a cannabinoid effect of another. And I mean, it's, it's become, uh, you know, the essential suicide drink, you know, when you're a kid and you put a little bit of every drink in the, from the, from the Coke fountain or whatever in your drink, that's kind of, that's kind of where I see that going. It's, it's, it's novel i guess is the word so uh i guess let's go back a little bit here uh tell us a little bit about your first grow what initially kind of kicked off the whole momentum for you wanting to grow and you know what did you grow let's Let's start, let's kind of go back a little bit to, to that phase in your journey. Let me paint you a picture. It's 2006. It's Kalamazoo, Michigan. I'm living in a house with six other guys. I started smoking cannabis because I had a roommate who happened to be the cannabis guy for our dorm. I mean, this was back when a $5 joint got you high all weekend kind of thing. So I decided, oh, man, I don't need to be paying for this. I'm going to start growing this myself. So, and this, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell it because I think it's important for people to know. My first grow, dude, I was so dumb. I was so dumb. I used an aquarium light, uh, like a tote that you would carry around, you know, clothes or something in, you know, a plastic tub. Uh, and I was, I didn't even have tools enough 
to drill holes in the tub. I had to use a lighter to burn holes in the tub. I put in all the seeds that I possibly could. I mean, I probably covered that entire that entire top of the tub with seeds. And I will tell you, though, a lot of them did sprout, but I uh, I don't know if I had finals or I was I was just distracted or something. And they all ended up dying because they either either they grew into the light or the light singed them or whatever it was. Uh, so I ended up having to throw that entire batch out. So I took it behind the dumpster. You know, when you're when you're freshman or sophomore in college, you live in communal housing. And, you know, I just decided I'd throw this out back behind the dumpster. Well, I, you know, I missed and uh, I had to go back and, and throw it back out. But the following summer, you know, we had a whole bunch of little plants growing because I mean, I'm not lying to you. There had to have been a thousand seeds in that tote. You know, we just collected from everybody I knew from our, our swag weed. And uh, I ended up having to, you know, say goodbye to all those. But the ones that came through the next year, the volunteer plants, a couple of them made it almost to maturity, but I'm pretty sure a rabbit got them. Uh, and then it wasn't but maybe a couple of months after that, that my cousin called me and said, hey, I'm starting to grow. I need some help. You want to help me? And then that's when I started growing basil, which attracted the ladies from the, the church who paid me for the basil, which made me think, oh, well, maybe I can get paid for growing other plants. So my first grow was in a closet in a in a in a six person house in a door or in a in Kalamazoo, Michigan, in 2006, and I didn't pick up again trying to grow until almost 2010. So it was, uh, you know, I, I I put about as much effort into it as a Google search, and uh, I think I had even worse results personally on that first grow, but. The next three grows I did were with my cousin and there was a lot of success with those. And then after that, it was just off to the races. I, I went out to Colorado and learned commercially, came back to Michigan, did it personally. And then, uh, you know, that's, that's how I got in front of you today. Right. right on. So, um, how much do you think, uh, being a bud tender, uh, played into like say the growing of cannabis were they side but side by side or did one come first one come after where did the button they kind of come into play so it's funny you'd say that because i i actually have had someone ask this question before and it was bud tending actually was ancillary um it was just the only the the guy that hired me that gave me my start in, in detroit he just needed a bud tender so that's how i became a bud tender but i I was lucky enough to have a person that I worked with who was, you know, very knowledgeable. And this was 10 years ago. The guy actually was in a really bad car accident. So he, he really had that therapeutic need for cannabis. And I would just hear him talk and talk and talk about cannabis like crazy. And, and, you know, knowing specific strains and all this stuff. And I kind of equate it to, to Pokemon. If you remember Pokemon. It's like kind of like a game where you have these creatures that battle each other or whatever, but each one has special skills and stuff. And I remember him just saying things that made me think like, boy, this is kind of like, kind of like a video game, kind of like Pokemon. And uh, being able to take some of just that little bit of knowledge I got from him and then being able to apply it into a garden in front of me made, made all the sense in the world. So I guess truthfully, bud tending came first. Uh, but cultivation was shortly thereafter. And I, I basically never, never really looked back other than for the occasional extra few bucks on the weekend or whatever. But I, I love the, the, the interpersonal, the people, you know, I'm a people person. Like, I really love that, but uh, it was, it, it really was so 
in high demand in Colorado that when you were a bud tender out there, you, you really were just a packager. I mean, there was just, there was lines out the door all the time. There really wasn't that personal experience that we might experience now. So uh, yeah, I guess I, I guess overall bud tending came first. It's awesome. You know, you mentioned a, another thing that I kind of that relates back, I guess, to the conversation earlier. It's packaging. Packaging. Fucking packaging. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that's one thing that I, you know, as somebody that grows cannabis or whatnot, has a dream of, you know, being the producer on a little bit larger scale. Um, I've always worried about that end of it all. You know what I mean? Even prior to cannabis, you know, I've always been worried about the quality side of things, trying to keep my business small enough to where everything was touched by me. You know what I mean? I yeah. had quality control over everything. And so as, as a grower, I've always been worried about the packaging side of things, you know, putting, turning things into the matrix and <laughs> keeping my brand. You know yep. what I mean? You don't know yep. how long it's going to sit on shelves or be mm. on a table before it's divided up, all that good shit. And then the end, it's got my picture and shit on it. You know what I mean? I'm terrified of that. So I think, you know, these smaller events that we talked about earlier, are the perfect solution, you know what I mean, for quality control and, you know, keeping things good for your brand, your your garden, you know, for the consumer. I think that's that's the answer, to be honest with you. Yes, I agree. We had an experience like that at the, at the High Times Cannabis Cup back when I was partnered with a few other people. And we, uh, we found that, the only negative thing that happened that weekend was uh, we, we used to run Durban poison and it was just so terpy that it just, it really never diamonded out. Like, and the person that I had, you know, that had doing this for me was, was, was a talented person. So, I mean, it's, it, I know it wasn't a, a failure procedure, but it was just so terpy that you, you really couldn't, you couldn't even turn it on its side. It would leak out of the leak out of the package. Well, I'll tell you that, having that closeness to the packaging was super important, just like you described with your picture on it or your label or whatever it might be, because that person had, I want to say they probably bought two or three of those, or they donated for two or three of those. And uh, I'd say they probably put them in a backpack or they put them in a bag and they spilled all over. And that person was able to like come right back to us. We traded them right out. And they even took the time to go and, and, post that and i know that sounds kind of silly like it's kind of inconsequential but it was really important to me because it allowed me to like feel like we were addressing everyone's issue like everyone left happy is really what i was trying to to get at by that statement like to know that everybody is left happy and everybody has what they want and if they don't we can fix it like having have, being that close to the product really made a huge difference because you know it only takes one bad review you know that's all it takes so being able to accommodate the customer in that way. And it was just as simple as trading it out. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything more complicated than that, but you know, you get home from a long day, you spend all this money on this, this really high quality cannabis, this really high quality extract. And 
you know, it's spilled out in your bag. You're, you know, some people, some people are looking for someone to blame when that happens. And for that person to take the time and explain to us what happened. And then for us to be able to just turn around and give it to her, I believe it was a her without any, without really any cost to us or loss to us, just being able to do that. That really made me feel attached to my product really made me feel like we had some control over what was, uh, what was reaching our, what was reaching our customers experience, not necessarily just what was reaching their hands. Yeah, I just hope that they at some point. I wouldn't even mind at some point. We've talked about this too. I wouldn't. I'd be game for uh, like a born on, <laughs> a born on or an expiration date. You know, to where they that's they have to put their best cannabis forth, and then they maybe after you know that good on or best before date. That's when they take that shit back and fucking make extracts out of it. You know, yeah, I think that, that would be a perfect solution. Yeah, and it makes the most sense. I mean, you're paying for the for the processing, but either way, it's getting used. So I, I can agree with that. That's actually, you know, it's. I would imagine that's that's a pretty standard thing for some people, but the yeah, you know, I'll tell you, I've I've seen products that I know were growing last year on shelves still. So it's it's interesting because you either have caregivers that are behind and that are that are trying to get rid of old product or you have super long testing lines for commercial products. So you're, you're getting something that's, you know, six months old, right out, right off the, the bat. And, you know, whatever time it, it took, takes you to consume it, whatever time it takes you to find it and, and purchase it. It just, uh, it really adds up to it. And I think California tried to like, they tried to start canning their cannabis in, in, uh, in plastic or, you know, tin cans or whatever. And, they said that, that was supposed to help, but you know, I haven't, I haven't really experienced it, so I don't know. But it's it's an interesting solution, I suppose. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, I think you're. Uh, are you referring to like a nitrogen storage? Yes. I've heard that uh, the nitrogen storage is almost kind of like uh, the meat. It's good to a certain point, and then uh, it basically yeah. you, you can pull it out and like it dust. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like oh. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's about the worst yeah. worst thing that can happen. <laughs> Just pulverizes into dust. <laughs> oh man. Oh, Lordy. How you doing, my friend? I understand it's been a long day. Yeah, I uh, I actually just uh, was thinking I'm probably ready to to get going here for the day. I really wanted to to thank you for having me. I'd love to come back and do it again. I'm hopefully I'll have some more more positive stories for you. Um, I I'm working on a couple of couple of cases right now that that have some potential to do some some real positive things. So I'm hoping the next time we talk, I can. I can have something uh, positive to report. Right on. Well, let me go over. I know pre-show I did a little bit, but this is officially how things go around here. Um, okay. Basically, there is uh, the spotlighted show that we've done so far. Uh, 
so there's three shows on the channel at this point. There's the one me and you've done, uh, the spotlight. And then there's the weed nerd world, which is only open to past guests and which you are one now. <laughs> so right. that Zoom link that I sent you is always good for you, my friend. Anytime oh. that you see a weed nerd world in the title, uh, there's no more an invitation uh, needed. You know, as long as you see that, you're it's open game. You can come hang out, smoke, tell us what you're up to, the events you're having, which is helpful to a lot of us caregivers here in Michigan if we're, you know, we were looking to vend or something like that, or just cannabis consumers that want to find an event in Michigan. Anytime you want to open our eyes to something like that, come hang out. Monday nights are a designated weed nerd world, kind of late, 2 a.m., but again, that's... A, you can count. That's one night you can count on. You know what I'm saying? The rest of the yep. night, the weed nerd worlds are completely dictated by the guest. As I kind of hinted on, uh, as we wrap this up, I'll kind of stretch my legs, fill my tray and fill my coffee cup. And then uh, there you go. I'll open the weed nerd world up again for the past guest till 420. So there's an option. It could happen any day. You know what I mean? As a as a grower, I understand that, you know, we have some uh, third shift uh, tendencies. So if you happen to wake <laughs> up one night and uh, can't sleep or whatever, and you just want to smoke a joint real quick, feel free to come hang out, man. Smoke that joint, you know. There's no uh, dedication on time. You can just pop on, smoke that joint, say, hey, man, I'll be fucking whatever. You ain't even got to say nothing. You just come hang out and smoke a joint, you know whatever conversation can vary from cannabis to mushrooms to conspiracy to yeah, nice. you know what i mean it's it's a free-for-all in the weed nerd world so uh whatever you know just tune in and check it out you're always welcome keep that in mind you know you know you said you'd be willing to do a second i'd be more willing willing to do a one-on-one -on -one, but i'm here to tell you you're always welcome, my friend. Uh, the only other thing I'd like to get from you before you go is a silly thing I do called the soundbite. The soundbite will be at some point a commercial for your episode. Basically, in a nutshell, what I'm looking for, my version would be, hey, this is Eagle, and I'm on fucking talking shit with Eagle episode four. Four. <laughs> four all right. No. 646. I, I screwed up my own soundbite. Yeah, I screwed up my own soundbite. How about that? Episode 646. You can put whatever you want before or after that. I don't care as long as you've got that in the gist. I am super grateful and I am ready right now, my friend. Hey guys, this is Mason Grew. I'm just reporting live with Talking Shit with Eagle. And I wanted to make sure that everybody. Oh, shit, I forgot what I was supposed to tell you, dude. I'm sorry. I totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> we're, was we're one for one on this soundbite. <laughs> shit, that's terrible. Well, that's all right. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. That's authentic. I like it. <laughs> Let's try again. Take two. Okay. It's, 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 it's who I am, and then what else is it? Just a silly, silly saying? Basically... Hello, this is Eagle, and I'm on fucking talking shit with Eagle episode four. Oh my god, I did it again. 640, 640. Four, 646. 
Holy cow, I can't believe I did it. Fucked it up twice. But yeah. So I say your name or my name? At this point, your name. Your name, my show episode. Gotcha. Gotcha. (laughs) I I can do that. I'm ready. Anytime you're ready, man. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I was waiting for the the recorder there. Uh, Hey, guys, this is Maze and Gru. I'm on. Uh, number 646 of Talking Shit with Eagle, and we got a lot of good stories we're going to cover today. We look forward to your attendance, and we're going to try and do another one with some even new, even more new stories. Perfect. Thank you so much, my friend, for hanging out with me tonight. Time is the most valuable thing we have, and you gave me a nice little chunk of yours. Uh, I have put the links to your Instagram and your uh, Dankus Day Detroit tickets in chat, but is there anything else you'd like to throw out there for them? Uh, they can look for, my friend? Oh, no, that should be plenty. Uh, just look for the next event, and the next time I come back and talk with you, I'll have information about that. Right on. Well, have a good night, my friend. Again, my uh, deepest condolences about your family loss tonight. And uh, thank you again for being a sport and hanging out tonight. I greatly appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for being uh, understanding of my technical woes. <laughs> but I think we did a good job. And uh, I appreciate the comments about my, my grandma. That's, that's very kind of you. Thank you. You have a good night. And for the rest of you guys... Hopefully, I will see you in the Weed Nerd world here in a minute. If not, thank you guys for your time. Do not forget, random acts of kindness do save lives. Don't forget to help somebody out. I'll see you guys in a few.